great God, that's our prayer tonight, that you would come, that revival would begin in our hearts and our lives, Lord, that you'd awaken us afresh tonight, Lord. We haven't come here tonight just to go through the motions of church. We've come here to meet with you, the living God, to hear from you. You have a word for us tonight and you want to encourage us and you want to strengthen us and you want to lead us and guide us. And so now, great God, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would come now, that you would take your word, that you would illuminate it to us, great God, that we would open our hearts to what it is you want to say to us. Each and every person here, wherever we are on the journey of faith and life, Lord, you want to meet us tonight personally. You're so near here tonight. And so, Lord, just bless this time together now around your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I just want to add my welcome to you. It's so great to have you sharing with us tonight at our 6 p.m. service. Those who are joining us online as well, really warm welcome to you. And uh, as we often say here, wherever you are on the journey of faith or the journey of life, we are you're so welcome here at Bridgman, and we're really glad that you're connecting with us tonight. I want to begin by telling you a true story about a miracle that I heard about just recently. Dwayne Miller's greatest enjoyment came from preaching, and he would speak at his small church that he was a pastor at, and it wasn't just his livelihood, it was his passion, it was his calling, and his source of joy and satisfaction. So when he awoke with the flu one Sunday morning, his throat was Uh, like sandpaper, and his voice would just catch on words. And each syllable was incredibly painful for him to speak, and the flu soon disappeared. He got over that, but his voice never came back. It was just reduced to this raspy whisper is probably the best way to describe it. his, His throat felt like it was being constricted, as though someone was choking him is how it felt for him. And for all practical purposes, Miller's voice was gone. He wasn't able to preach anymore, and so he resigned from being a pastor at his church. He eventually got another government job researching records and a, a position that he then lost because it required him to go to court to testify. And because he had no voice, he couldn't do that anymore either. And eventually his insurance uh, stopped covering his treatments and he faced thousands and thousands of dollars in medical bills. And he said these words. He says, for the first time in my life, I felt utterly useless. My income, my future, my health, my sense of well-being, all were suddenly beyond my control. He said it was a terrifying and humbling experience to go through. And over three years, he was examined by no less than 63 physicians trying to work out what was going on. His case was even scrutinized by a Swiss symposium of the the world's leading specialists in this field. And the diagnosis they came up with eventually was that the flu virus had destroyed the nerves of his vocal cords. And when Miller asked about the prognosis for his recovery, the doctors told him uh, without a shadow of a doubt that it was zero, that he would never ever get his voice back again. And even though he'd lost his voice, 
uh, his former congregation would ask him or did ask him to come back and to teach to them because they really valued him as a person, valued his teaching. And so they went to a great deal of effort to get a special microphone that would capture his very raspy, um, soft voice. And they would use this to amplify it so that he could teach. And on one particular occasion, he was teaching to his former congregation, this small group of people, a text from Psalm 103, where the third verse reads, God heals all your diseases. Miller said, he said, with my tongue, I was saying, I still believe God heals. But he said, in my heart, I was screaming, but why not me, Lord? Why won't you heal me? He went on to the next verse, which says, the Lord redeems your life from the pit. And he told the congregation, he said, I have had and you have had in times past pit experiences. And as soon as he said the word pit, the choking sensation disappeared. And Dwayne said this in his own words. He says, now for the first time in three years, I could breathe freely, he recalled. I heard a gasp from the congregation and that's when I too realized that my voice had come back. I could hear myself and this stunned the congregation. They began to clap and cheer, knowing everything was going on. They began to shout and laugh and his wife Joy Lean just began to break down in tears and Miller stammered out, he says, I don't understand this right now with this fresh new voice. And subsequent doctor examinations um, showed that his throat looked like it had never had any problems at all. And in fact, against all odds, even all the scar tissue damage on his vocal cords had completely disappeared. One physician said this, he said, even if I could explain how you got your voice back by some coincidence, which I can't, he said, I could never explain what happened to the scar tissue. And the amazing thing is that this dramatic moment of Miller's recovery was actually captured on a sermon audio recording and it went viral. It went viral on the internet. Would you like to hear it tonight? Well, here it is. It goes for about two minutes, but listen this incredible moment when Dwayne Miller experiences healing. It's going to play on the audio. On the other hand, to say that, since we don't have anything after the book of Acts, that miracles ended at the book of Acts and they never happen again, is equally as wrong. Because you have put God in a box both ways. And he doesn't want to be in the box. So, the psalmist says, I'm excited, bless the Lord, O my soul. One of his benefits is he heals all of my diseases. And then in verse 4 he says, and he redeems my life from the pit. Now I like that verse just a whole lot. I have had and you have had in times past pit experiences. We've both had, we've all had times when our life seemed to be in a pit, in a grave. And we didn't have an answer for the pit we find ourselves in. And I don't understand this right now. 
I'm a bit overwhelmed at the moment. I'm not quite sure what to say or do. I'm uh, <laughs> sounds funny to say at a loss for words. <laughs> isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? Praise God. It's very powerful, isn't it? Incredibly powerful. In his words, Miller said this. He said, God didn't just restore my life. He amplified it, is what he said. Let me ask you this question. Do you think that this is a supernatural act of God, or do you think it's better explained as some sort of spontaneous remission that only coincidentally occurred while he was reading or quoting the Bible on healing? What do you think about this? And the reason I ask this question is because tonight we're launching into a new series called Signs of Life. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at the seven miracles of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of John. So we're going to be looking a lot at miracles over the next few weeks. And I know that for many of us, the very concept of a miracle can be a big faith obstacle. For many people in our community, this can be a massive faith obstacle. Are miracles real? Do miracles really happen? Surely only naive and uneducated people would believe in miracles. Despite what you may think, if that's your viewpoint or the viewpoint of others you talk to, despite what you might, might think, there is a tremendous amount of evidence for the reality of miracles today. And I just want to give you two examples of this. I could do many more, but Dr. Craig Keener is a highly regarded and respected New Testament academic. And as part of his research, he's written a book called Miracles. And when he in this book, he researched the evidence for miracles in the world today, all around the world, in fact. And to do this, he followed, being an academic, he followed a very strict and rigorous academic research criteria where every miracle had to be um, documented. It had to be evidenced by medical reports. It had to have multiple eyewitness accounts. And as he began this, he actually sort of jumped it into it by accident after doing a commentary on the book of Acts. But as he got into this and began to research and look for evidence, he was so overwhelmed with stories he ended up written a two-volume books, um, two-volume two set that he has put together, two big volumes on this topic of miracles. And he said, I could have written so much more. So overwhelmed was he with the, the amount of evidence for the reality of miracles today. Another example is Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an investigative journalist with the Chicago Tribune. He became a Christian when he set out to research the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. I think his story is actually captured in a movie, but more recently he's actually written a book called The Case for Miracles, where he, similar to Craig Keener, has investigated the evidence for miracles today, and again, followed a strict guideline of how he did that, but he highlights the fact that in this research he discovered that most skeptics and atheists will say it's uncivilized, only the uncivilized, only the uneducated who believe in miracles. But Lee Strobel's in his investigation 
discovered that a 2004 survey showed that 55% of US physicians have seen results in their patients that they would consider miraculous. That's a huge number of people. And this is coming from highly educated professionals trained in medicine that are are saying this. Not only that, he found that three quarters of the 1,100 doctors surveyed are convinced that miracles can occur today. That's pretty strong evidence, isn't it? From those that are right on the front line of these things and an incredible understanding of science and biology and how our bodies work. So if the concept of miracles is a faith obstacle for you tonight or you're tuning in listening online. This is a big obstacle for you. I really want to encourage you to do some research in this. There's two resources, Craig Keener, his book Miracles. If you've got time to read through two volumes, it's incredible reading and Lee Strobel's The Case for Miracles, just two to get into them. But with the reality of miracles in mind, we're going to jump into this series and the Apostle John is recording seven miracles very specifically because they reveal a deeper truth about Jesus and why he came. He puts it like this at the end of the book, John chapter 20. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And the word used for miracles in the Gospel of John is the word sign. That's the word um, that is used here to describe miracles, signs and wonders. And we all know that the purpose of a sign is to show us the way to go. Right? The sign's not necessarily trying to draw attention to ourselves, to itself, it's pointing us to the direction, pointing us to show us the way. And it's the same with these miracles. Although they are amazing in and of themselves, we are not to miss the truth that they are pointing us to. Because it's not the miracle that leads to life. I wanna tell you that. It's not the miracle that leads to life. It's the truth that these miracles point to that leads to life. It is the person that these miracles point to that actually leads to life. To life. And so tonight we're going to look at the very first miracle found in John chapter 2. It's the wedding in Cana. Let me read it to you. You can follow along on your device or on the screen behind as well. But this is what it says. It says, On the third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tested the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until last. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. 
And after this, he went down to Capernaum where his mother and brothers and his disciples were and they stayed there for a few days. This is God's word to us. And when you think about it, it's pretty intriguing that of all the miracles Jesus could choose, for the very first miracle he performs is, is turning water into wine, which is pretty insignificant in the big scheme of things. Like we know there are far more concerning issues in this world than a, than a wedding feast running out of wine. Surely for your first miracle, you know, if you're trying to make a statement, you would pick something a little more important, a little more impacting, a little more dramatic than this. So the question is this, why is this seemingly insignificant miracle so important that Jesus does this as his very first sign, the first sign of his ministry? What's the deeper message of this miracle? What is it revealing us revealing to us about Jesus? What is it pointing us to? Some time ago now, I watched the Netflix documentary on the Fire Festival. It's called Fire, the greatest party that never happened. Anyone else seen this um, documentary? A few of you, intriguing documentary to watch. For those who haven't seen it, it's about the real life saga of the Fire Festival, which was created by Billy McFarland and Ja Rule. And basically, Um, These guys promoted this luxury and exclusive music festival experience on a secluded tropical island in the Bahamas. And they paid models and social media influencers to promote this festival online. They signed some big music artists. They managed to convince them to, to be a part of this. And they sold tickets for thousands of dollars for this exclusive experience. Tickets sold for $10,000. Um, I believe some of the tickets even sold for $100,000 to be a part of this exclusive um, festival. And the guests were promised luxury accommodation on the, on the beachfront, the best in food, art, music, and an adventure in the Bahamas. And the promo looked amazing. It looked incredible. And thousands of tickets were sold, um, just bringing in literally millions of dollars for Billy McFarlane, for Ja Rule, for the organisers of this event. There was only one problem. The festival was not even close to what was promised. When people arrived, instead of luxury villas on the beach, they were staying in emergency shelter tents with soaking um, camping mattresses on the ground because the tents leaked. People have paid thousands of dollars for this accommodation. Instead of fine dining, the food was cheese and lettuce on bread in a styrofoam container. There is a famous picture that was taken by one of the attendees that went viral all around the world. There wasn't enough water for everyone. There wasn't showers or or toilets or any of these things. It was a complete disaster. And and McFarlane is now in jail for fraud. Um, The Fire Festival was the most talked about festival experience of 2017, but not because anyone had any fun there. But in many ways, the Fire Festival parallels the deeper meaning of this wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. You see, the world and sin promises us so much, and yet in reality, it fails so far short, it falls so far short of what it promises to us. The world and sin, it promises us happiness and joy and pleasure, but at the end of the day, it can't deliver. It ends up leaving us empty and disappointed and even disillusioned and cynical with life itself. 
And so Jesus very intentionally performs his first miracle at a party of all places, at a wedding feast, this time of great joy and celebration because he wants to reveal to us that central to his ministry, central to the reason he has come is to bring us true and lasting joy. And in John chapter 15, later on in this gospel, Jesus says these words. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And this is really important because a lot of people think of Jesus, when they think of Jesus, they think of somebody who is a killjoy, basically. Somebody that means following him means no fun. Um, You know, it's all a list of rules and regulations that Jesus will take away their joy and happiness. So many people have this perspective. Maybe you have that perspective here tonight if you're watching online. And yet Jesus' first miracle is to show us just the opposite, that Jesus has come into this world and that he wants to invite us into this amazing kingdom celebration, this kingdom party, a kingdom feast that does not disappoint. In fact, it is far better than anything you could imagine. The Bible says no ear has heard, no eye has seen what God has in store for those who trust in him. That doesn't mean that for us as followers of Jesus, we are exempt from the trials and the challenges of life or that there are no sacrifices or costs in following Jesus. There are those things, that is true. But he wants us to clearly see through this first miracle the joy that this world and sin tries to offer us will eventually fail. Like these newlyweds in this account, in this passage, the universal experience of humanity apart from Christ is that there comes a time when the wine runs out, so to speak, where when the joy and the exhilaration of life begin to fade and eventually are gone. But Jesus was revealing right at the outset of his ministry that he brings joy to life. And that the joy he gives is abundant and it's overflowing and it never runs out with the best coming last. And so the question is, well, how do we get in on this kingdom celebration, on this kingdom party? How do we experience this true and lasting joy in our lives? And maybe you've come tonight and you feel like you have lost joy, you have lost happiness, you have lost meaning and purpose and you've come going, I have got none of that left. I feel empty. Well, I want you to hear tonight how you can come in to experience the fullness of joy that is found in Jesus. And the first thing we see here in this passage is that deep inner joy actually comes through repentance and through being made clean. We read in verse 6 that nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So I want you to picture these massive stone water jars holding around 100 litres of water each. And these are definitely not used by people for drinking water. They are sacred. They are used by the Jews for religious ceremonial washing to symbolise making themselves clean before a holy God. And we're pretty familiar with the concept of this in our COVID world at the moment. Everywhere you go, you know, sanitizing your hand, washing your hands. We do that everywhere. But for them, it was more than just good hygiene. It was symbolic in a spiritual sense. 
as you were washing, as you would come to an event, if you'd come to the, to, the, to the ceremony, the ritual, you would wash. As you were doing that, you were confessing your sin, you were repenting, you were being washed clean before God. That was Jewish and Old Testament purification law. That was part of what they had to do. And so Jesus, by using these purification stone jars full of water to make the wine, he is pointing to a truth. He's pointing to the fact that all of us need to be washed clean. That each and every one of us are sinners. That all of us have fallen short of God's standard and that our sin separates us from God and it actually robs us of joy. It takes the joy out of our lives. And he's showing us specifically that external washing is not enough. That holy water and ritual is not enough. That the old Jewish ceremonial laws of purification are not enough to make us clean because instead it's actually, Jesus says, it's our hearts that need to, make, to, need to be made clean. We can wash your hand as much as you want, he said. But it's actually inside. It's our hearts that need to be purified, that need to be made clean. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 15. He said, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These, he said, are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. And Jesus at the very start of his ministry was, was, was getting to the heart of the matter, was pointing to a new way to be made clean. The water turned into wine represents what he would later describe as the wine of the new covenant, the cup of the new covenant. Jesus' blood that would be shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sin so that we could have our, our hearts cleansed once and for all. We could know that reality in our lives. And when we come to Jesus in repentance and faith and are washed clean by him, it brings incredible joy to our lives. I wanna tell you that. Knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that we are made right with God, there is no greater joy that you can experience in this life. King David puts it like this in Psalm 51, a psalm of repentance. He says this, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. There it is. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So this is the first point we see here, the deep inner joy comes through repentance, comes through having our hearts washed clean because sin, it robs us of joy. And here's the second point we see here, and that is that real and lasting joy comes through obedience. In verse five, his mother, Jesus' mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Good advice, do whatever he tells you. And the request would have seemed pretty crazy to, to Mary, to these servants, like who does this? Who fills up these ceremonial um, containers, these jars with water? But they respond in complete obedience. And it's the same for us. We, as we respond in, in obedience to Jesus, it actually brings incredible joy to our lives. Recently, I was talking to a business owner here in the church and he was telling me how he had gone through a really, really tough time with his business, causing him a lot of stress and worry, just robbing him of joy in his life. 
And he came to a point where he was wrestling with God about this. What was going on? No matter what he did, things would not turn around. Instead, they just kept, seemed to keep getting worse. And he came to a point where he realized he just could not do this anymore. And so one day he was praying about it and he felt God was saying to him, saying, Grant, whose business is this anyway? Is it yours or is it mine? Who does it belong to? And Grant said to me in that moment, it all began to click. He said, I realized that the business had actually been all about me. It had been all about me. And so he got his notepad out where he would jot all his notes and details for the business ideas that would come to mind. He got this notepad out and he wrote these words. I think we might even have a photo of it possibly for the screen, but he wrote these words. He says, I resign from CEO of this business and I happily appoint Jesus Christ as a new CEO effective immediately. And then he signed it and dated it. And then he said to me, and then I sent it out to my leadership team. And he said, Nathan, it gets real when you send it to your leadership team, when you send it out. And they're thinking, what is going on? Grant's resigned as the CEO. What has taken place? They thought he'd lost the plot, is what he said to me. Talk about radical obedience. But he said to me, you know, Nathan, it was the best decision I ever made. And, and in fact, from that point on, things began to turn around in the business. And, um, and, and such an incredible turnaround. His accountants apparently said to him, Grant, you need to resign more often. This is fantastic for the business. You should do this more often. But what an incredible um, step of radical obedience. And he, as he told me, I want to tell you, he was so excited as he told me, so excited about how he had seen God at work and not just he had seen it, but the others in his business had seen this as well. There is incredible joy and excitement that comes when we step forward in faith and obedience. I want to tell you that. When we step down and we make Jesus the CEO of our lives and then see God at work in and through us in supernatural and amazing ways. It's so exciting, incredibly amazing to be a part of that. And if you have lost your joy, if you've come tonight and you are feeling empty, this could be the very reason. God might be calling you to follow him in obedience in an area of your life and you keep holding back, you keep saying no to him and you are missing out on the joy of this and that's why you're feeling joyless and empty tonight. And here's the final truth we see here and that is that the greatest of all joy comes through persevering in faith and not giving up. In verse nine, it says that he called the bridegroom aside, the master of the ceremony called the bridegroom aside. He said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until last. I love that phrase. You have saved the best until last. As I was studying this miracle and reading about it, I realized that Jesus always saves the best until last. Jesus said in the kingdom of heaven, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. He flips things around. And this is a really important truth to get hold of because sometimes we feel like giving up. In the journey of faith, the journey of life, things seem too hard and we might think everything is downhill from here and things can't get better and there is no hope for the future. Maybe that's how you feel tonight. You look at the future and think there is no hope for the future. Last week, I heard an amazing story that just highlights this point. I was catching up with uh, another pastor and he was telling me that his grandparents served as missionaries 
in inland China back between 1927 and 1937. And sadly, they had to flee the country as it was coming in under communist rule. And one day, um, John, this pastor that I was catching up with, was meeting up with a Chinese pastor friend of his. And they were just getting to know each other. And as they were getting to know each other, they were sharing a meal together. And he asked this Chinese pastor friend what his favourite place in the world was. And he said, well, actually, uh, it's a tiny little stone wall village in a very remote part of China. No outside people ever go there, but there is a little Bible college there and a small church which was started by some missionaries um, some, some years back. And every two years, I get to go to this little town and minister to them and encourage them. He said, it's the most amazing place I've ever visited in the world. And it's called Dali, is the name of this town. And my friend John said to, his, to this pastor, he said, is that Dali spelt with a T-H? And this pastor friend just had a, a look of complete um, shock on his face. He said, no, it's not. But he said, but it used to be spelt that way. They've now changed the spelling. But he said, how do you even know that? And John said, well, my father was actually born in that little village. And, and this Chinese pastor was in complete disbelief. He, he actually got up and he leaned across the table and he looked, John said, he just looked me in the eyes and he said, you are not from China. You are not from China. He says, no, I'm not from China. But he said, my, my grandparents were missionaries to China and my father was born while I was serving there. And this pastor friend still could not believe this because he said, look, this is such a remote place. No one goes there. And he said, well, John said, well, I've actually still got my grandfather's journal and I've got some photos that my grandfather brought out from China when he was fleeing um, to come out and he still, I still have them, I've kept them. And he said, well, we'll bring them, show them to me so I can have a look. And so um, he brought them to this Chinese pastor and showed them to him. And as he showed them this journal and the photos, he could not believe it. He said, yes, that is the place. That is the place. They couldn't believe this. Incredible um, coincidence or God moment, really, it was that was taking place. And this pastor said to John, he said, John, you've got to come with me. You've got to come with me next time I go. And John said, yeah, I'm keen. This is incredible. Let's, let's do this. And so they went on the next trip. John went with this Chinese pastor and they went to this little village. And John said, as I went, I was reading my grandfather's journal. Like he said, such a remote place. He couldn't believe what links they went to, to to reach these people in inland China. He said, as they got there and John showed them the photos of these people that they could not believe what they were seeing because the communists actually wiped out all of their photos. They had no photos um, of, of their family members. And for some of them, they were seeing themselves as little children or or family members that they hadn't seen, ever seen photos of. And, and, and John said that on one particular occasion, he was sharing with some of these believers this fact. It was a little small gathering and they were sitting across the table, just a few of the key leaders, um, the few key Christian leaders in this village. And he, John said, I was talking and sharing with them and said how I remembered my grandfather would weep. He said, I remember him weeping about the fact that he couldn't get back into China to share with the believers there to minister and reach out with the good news of the gospel. And how my grandfather, John said, used to wonder, you know, what happened of all that ministry? What took place? What happened with the believers there? Was it worth it all? The questions that would go through his grandfather's mind. And as he's sharing this, this Chinese believer is sitting directly opposite him. He had no expression on his face, but he just had tears streaming down streaming down his face as John is sharing this with him. And John's wondering, what is going on here? What's, what's happening? 
And when John finished sharing this, this Christian, Chinese Christian believer through a translator said to John, he said, John, I want you to know that because of your grandparents, there are now millions of believers in China. And we give so much thanks to God that he came, that they came, they shared the good news of Jesus with us. Isn't that incredibly powerful? Talk about saving the best until last. Isn't that amazing? But this is what God does. This is, this is at the core of, of Jesus' ministry, of Jesus' ministry, that when he comes, when he ministers, when he does his work in your life, you can always know that he saves the best until last. And because of this, we are not to be disheartened. We are not to give up. We are not to lose heart or be pessimistic about the future. You see, Jesus' first miracle at this wedding is actually pointing us to an even better wedding still to come. And the Bible talks about it as being the wedding supper of the Lamb. Let me read it to you, and I want to finish tonight with these words. It's Revelation 21. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and He will live with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. And He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he goes on to say, and blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And Jesus is saying through this miracle, I don't want you to miss this tonight. Jesus is saying through this miracle, no matter what, joy you experience in this life, whether through natural or spiritual means, it will not compare to what is to come. What is to come is far better than anything we could ever experience in this life. And maybe you're here tonight and you have lost your joy because you have lost sight of this truth. You don't have a hope for the future. You think it's all downhill from here. You feel like giving up tonight as you've come. I want you to know that Jesus wants you to hold on in faith and trust to Him. Or if you've never come to Him, Jesus wants you to come to Him tonight because there is an invitation for you for the greatest wedding feast ever. Your name is on the invitation. Jesus has written it there for you. All you have to do is just accept that invitation. Just receive it tonight. And you can come into this incredible kingdom party, this kingdom feast which goes on forever and ever. You see, Jesus always saves the best until last. And so tonight I wanna to pray for us. And in a moment, we're gonna have an opportunity to respond to God's Word. But let me pray as we conclude tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the truth, Lord, that You have revealed to us. 
Lord, we thank you for the amazing truth that you are a miracle-working God, Lord. It's incredible and it's amazing. But Lord, I pray we wouldn't miss the sight of where these miracles are pointing us to, great God. We wouldn't lose sight that they are pointing us to a deeper truth, to a deeper meaning. They are pointing us to you, Lord Jesus, the miracle working God who has come to bring joy to our lives, to bring hope, to bring life. And so I pray tonight for some of us here, we know you, Lord Jesus, but we have lost that joy in our lives. Lord, I pray tonight we'd have a moment now in your presence to respond to you that you would restore to us the joy of your salvation, I pray. If it's some here tonight, Lord, they've never ever come into that relationship with you and known that joy in their own hearts, well, Lord, I pray tonight that you would enable them just just to respond to you, Lord, to receive that invitation and that you, as they do that, would fill them with joy as they come to you in repentance and faith tonight. This is my prayer and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close tonight, we're gonna have an opportunity to respond. There's three different ways you can respond tonight. The first is around this concept of repentance, of being washed clean by Jesus. And over on the far side here where the cross is, there is a table and on it is actually some little, of those little communion packs that we're using at the moment. And I wanna invite you tonight, if you know that there has been a loss of joy in your heart, you know that you need to come like King David before God and say, God, just search my heart tonight. Reveal to me anything that's blocking in the way, any sin that's in the way. Just come to that tonight and give thanks to Him that He has made a way possible. It's not about washing externally, but He has made a way through the cup of the new covenant, through His body given for us. He's made a way for us to be washed clean once and for all. If you've never done that, if you've never experienced that, you can come tonight and do that. Take communion as a sign to say, yes, Jesus, I wanna receive you tonight. If you're already a believer, I want you to come and do that as an expression again of saying, God, I'm coming again in repentance to you. I want you to search my heart. I don't want any sin, anything to block away the joy of your salvation in my life. You can come and just do that down the front there as we respond in a moment. The second response is around obedience. Stepping forward in obedience with God. And I've got these little slips of paper down on the front two tables here. And I've actually um, taken Grant's words and put them on this little sheet of paper. And it says, I resign from being the CEO of my life and happily appoint Jesus Christ as a new CEO effective immediately. And you can come tonight and just sign it and date it and take it with you. And by doing that, it's a response of saying, Lord Jesus, I wanna surrender to you in, in obedience. Lord, whatever it is you're calling me to do, maybe there's something specific for you tonight that He's prompting you to do and you've been putting it off, we'll say, Lord, I'm gonna respond in obedience and faith. I'm not gonna put it off anymore. And as you do that, I'm gonna pray that you will know an incredible joy in your heart as you express that. And it's important tonight, rather than just say this in your head, to actually do a tangible expression. That's why we're doing this tonight, to tangibly mark that tonight. Don't let us, so easy to leave tonight and walk away and forget about this, but we wanna mark it tonight. And the last one, is for those who God is saying to you, you just need to persevere tonight, that Jesus always saves the best till last, that you're not to give up. And I've put over here that very message, don't give up, keep persevering, be faith-filled about the future because Jesus always saves the best until last. And I've got that revelation passage on there. And you can just come and take it, it's on the far table over there. Just come and take it, keep it with you this week as a reminder that yes, you're gonna hold on, you're gonna keep trusting God, you're reaffirming your faith and trust in Him. 
So whichever of those you feel God is prompting you to, then you come as we sing this song and respond to Him. But why don't we stand on our feet as we're doing this response? I'm just gonna ask you just to remember to keep the social distancing and everything like that as we do this. We wanna stay safe tonight, but respond to what the Holy Spirit, these are holy moments right now. Let's respond as we worship Him together. You feel free to come. It's been such a good challenge for us tonight, great God, as we surrender, as we yield to You, Father. and. Uh, you're an amazing God. We've already sung these words just about the goodness of You and how powerful You are. And Father, we just thank You. Again, it just blows my mind to think that we can have a personal relationship with You, that we can stop in this moment and speak like directly to You, the One who created the world, who One who spoke it into being. And it's just an amazing, amazing thought. Father, there may be some listening, watching right now, Father, who are thinking, gee, I wonder what that'd be like to know Him personally. I thank You, Lord, that You made it available for all people. It's not for the elite, not for those that have been really good. It's, it's those that have been forgiven, forgiven by You, great God, and that is available for all people. And we just thank You for that, great God. And, and for those who know the truth of that, I just pray that we would walk, uh, we would walk with this desire to share that good news with others as well, Father, wherever You have us. So we thank You, Lord. What a blessing it's been to gather here, to, uh, to, to be able to uh, watch online tonight, great God. We thank You for Your Word. It's powerful. And uh, yeah, we honour You tonight, great God. And we pray these things in Your Name. Amen. Amen. It has been really good to have you online. been great to have you here. Um, I thought of a quote, and I can't even remember who it was by, but it goes something along the lines of this, if I get it right. The world is yet to see what God can do through a person was fully yielded, fully surrendered to Him. The world is yet to see what God can do through a person who is fully surrendered to Him. In essence, what we've done tonight is that. It's a surrender to Him to say, God, we wanna see You do signs and wonders through our lives, wherever we might be. And so whether you're watching online or here tonight, I pray as you go back to your university, as you go back to your, your school, as you go back to your job site, as you go back to your uh, workplace, as you go back to the neighbourhood in which you live, and as you surrender, as you yield your life to Him, He will do amazing things. Because it's not your work, it's His Holy Spirit in and through you that'll make the difference and the impact in other people's lives. So go in power this week, go with God this week, whatever you're doing, and may you see great stories and amazing things take place wherever you are. God bless you so much. We'd love to see you next Sunday. If you're watching online, come and visit us in person. That'd be amazing. Have an awesome week. We'll see you soon.